This is the Roaring Elephant podcast for the 7th of May 2019, a podcast about Apache Hadoop and the surrounding ecosystem for anybody working with or investigating big data and advanced analytics. My name is John, and here's my automated CICD co-host, Dave. Beep. (laughs) (laughs) A very good Green lights. (laughs) Green lights. Everything is green. All things are green. Everything's okay. green. Okay, I'm doing some A-B testing here, people. This was Dave number B. Uh, let me know by via Twitter <laughs> if you like this one better or worse than the A version of it. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, in case you haven't uh, guessed yet, this episode is going to be the second part of the interview we did with uh, Chris Berg from uh, Data Kitchen. And it's all yeah. about data ops. Now, before we go on to the interview, just a quick shout out again about our DC uh, Data Work Summit, Washington, DC. Free ticket raffle going on at the moment. Check my Twitter feed if you haven't entered yet. Do it quickly because uh, either at this moment when you hear this, it's already done, in which case too late, or we're still running, but we'll be finishing up very quickly. Apart from that, anything else you want to add? I don't think so. Show me some. Show me some more uh, data ops. I'm desperate to know more. Let's go. Now, how cut and pasteable is this? If I have a company that uh, is doing this and they're successful with it, can I just uh, cookie cutter approach? Do what they do, and it'll work for me as well. Because when you talk about things like mindset and looking at what you're doing, it, it does feel like you can take some principles along, but you'll kind of have to reinvent it for your own company. Or am I wrong in that? You know, um, I'm not sure I know the answer to that. Uh, that's, that's a good question. I, I, I do think the mindset matters. Um, and I do think if you look at the, the, since data ops is pretty new and I haven't encountered <laughs> anyone who said I've did data ops at my company and now I'm trying to move it to the next one. Um, you know, you, you could, uh, uh, so I just, I, I, I think that they should be. I, I'm not sure like any company you can port the code, but once you do things and you find that there is a pattern, what I do know is that people are comfortable in their tools. And so if you're a SQL person and you know how to test some SQL, you're going to start writing some parameterized SQL and take that same pattern and and put it in your new job. And it's going to be a lot easier. If you're an ETL guy, you're going to know how to test in talent and that's going to be an easier thing. Um, If you know how to do some uh, deployment automation, um, you're going to start doing that in your job because you're just going to see it's better. um, Mm -hmm. And you're going to want to say, what are you, what are you doing? And so I think the, um, I think that there's a small set of design patterns that you need mm-hmm. to think about. And once you sort of get those design patterns and people start to get those design patterns, it'll go. Cause I mean, everyone knows if you're writing software code, what's a unit test, what's a system test, what's yep. a functional test, what's a good one. There's frameworks there's, and, uh, people are, are doing it as, as course. And I, and some, uh, it's starting to, there's some education and certification around data ops principles and, okay. and data ops ideas, uh, that's happening. And, and I hope the, you know, there's been a proliferation of sort of master's degrees in data science and engineering here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And I hope they start actually teaching some of the same principles, just like you're, you know, there's a, there's a, there's an, an engineering perspective, a data ops class for, for people to get those degrees. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause I must admit that uh, my, I know a couple of customers could really use some data ops, but uh, they haven't heard the term yet well, until, until I talked about it. <laughs> now, when yeah, I was, yeah, and it's a, go ahead. But the term is new. <laughs> yeah, but also the whole concept. Because, I mean, uh, when I was looking looking up information for this interview with you, I came across the Data Ops Cookbook, and I read through it. It's a 133-page white paper, if I can call it that. And yeah. 
I, I, I like that has a little phrase in there saying this book is not trying to sell you anything. You can implement datals all by yourself using your existing tools by implementing the seven steps. So it's more of a open source kind of approach, let's say, which I like very much. But when I read the thing, I could really see how one, a couple of my customers could really benefit from the knowledge or just the, the, the wisdom, if I could call it that, that's in that book there. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, so, uh, you know, I'm a 50-something guy and I could have a nice, comfortable job sitting as, you know, you know, playing, riding my bike and, and taking like long walks in the woods that I like to do. But I think I, I've, I've just seen too many of my fellow nerds get beat up by the data, get beat up by their business customers. And it just bugs me. Mm-hmm. And I, and also just, I, I sometimes go to conferences and I just, I start ranting and raving that our people are, people are selling the wrong thing. They're selling these magic beans that you pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for, and they're not solving the real problem because the real problem is, is data ops. The real problem is, is a people and process problem. And it's, uh, you know, you, you've got to figure out how your team and their tools and their data are all going to work together. Um, and the management principles that have been from manufacturing and from software wholly apply and that those ideas have to get out or else the field itself won't, won't be able to grow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now getting into the cookbook, there's one thing I would like you to go a little bit deeper upon and that's the, uh, the graphic uh, representation you have there. I mean, there's the figure eight, the infinity symbol, which is uh, pretty much representative for DevOps and you have a different kind of, uh, schema for data ops and this makes for great radio. <laughs> <laughs> a T diagram. We call it the T. A T diagram. <laughs> it's fine. But can you, can you explain a little bit more? Cause I, th- I thought it was very interesting. Yeah, so there's there's two parts of the T. There's the one that goes across that we call the, the sort of value pipeline, and then one that goes up to the base to that top of the T that we call the innovation pipeline. And so that they've got two distinct names for for a reason. Um, and so the 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 first one that value pipeline, and I used this metaphor before, and that data comes in on one side of the value pipeline goes through a bunch of, you know, it may you know go through a database or a series of databases and tools till finally gets the value to the customer. And I actually. Th- I think the best metaphor is literally a Toyota manufacturing line where raw materials come in, there's different workstations, there's different people, and different things happen in order until the work product's done. And so I think it, it is a vital perspective that people think of what they do as manufacturing. And um, because it's a repetitive process in a technically complicated environment that have different people, some of the workstations are automated by robots, some are not, um, but you're getting a, a product at, at the end. And so that sort of manufacturing a product perspective is what that value pipeline's about and what the idea, you know, when we talk about lean or statistical process control, that I think that's a really important um, metaphor because you are trying to put out low-cost, high-quality products. And I grew up in the center part of the United States, a state called Wisconsin and a town called Milwaukee. And, you know, my dad was a telephone repairman, and he drove a Toyota back in the early 80s. And, and that time, it was not good to drive a Toyota in, in Wisconsin because uh, jobs were flying out of Wisconsin, not because of China, but actually because of Japan. They were making better cars and cheaper small engines, and they were just better. Um, and so my dad was like, I'm going to buy a Toyota. This car is cheaper and better. Um, and, uh, you know, with Milwaukee lost like 50,000 jobs in a period of a few years. It's not a big town, actually. It's, you know, it's like a quarter million people, uh, due to the fact, honestly, because they got their pants beaten off of them. And why did the Japan win? Well, uh, partly the reason is they took these sort of lean, agile Deming ideas to heart. 
um, and they found ways to, uh, it was that process that, that made them better. And so I think um, I saw firsthand the effect of that. And so that perspective is you should not run a factory putting out low quality products and have no idea that whether they work or not, and then ignore that your customers are rolling their eyes when they give them to you. Or, uh, you know, worse, you're, you're blindly manufacturing things. You don't know if anyone's using it. And then lo and behold, they've hired a consultant team to do the job you thought you did or they've. And so uh, I think there's that perspective of the, the top part of the T, the manufacturing one is really important. Yeah, and then the mm-hmm. the bottom part of the T, the the uh, innovation pipeline, yeah. mm-hmm. um, that is also I think uh, very important. And so it is, uh, it's the the process of how you take an idea from one of your team's head. I've got a new model. I've got a new segmentation. I've got a new data set. I've got a new visualization. How do you get that from their keyboard into uh, into the hands of your business customer to get feedback? And that is, uh, can be, uh, there's different patterns that people have because sometimes that idea, when you put it into the production assembly line, breaks the assembly line and people are upset with that because they don't understand it. And so they, you solve that complexity with change review boards and slowness and processes and team meetings. And that's a, that's a way to do it. Right. Uh, and then you've got the person or persons who know, have the whole system in their head. And then you've got, okay, I wrote this great thing. I've, you sort of go at their feet and say, please tell me, sir, will this break production? And they, <laughs> they'll go in. Uh, that was my uh, <laughs> was a bad joke, but, uh, yeah, but it's really that you, you have to go and sort of beg at their feet because they've got the whole complexity of, of the production line in their head. <laughs> and that yeah. person, he or she are, are rare. And why are you wasting their time? What they're the bottleneck. Um, and so how do you automate that process of deployment? Uh, it's not just moving code. It's also proving that the code works. Um, and code could be a model or some SQL or a visualization or whatever. How, how do you prove that it works and prove that it won't muck up the assembly line? And so that's the interplay between those two uh, of running a Toyota-like factory and, and deploying quickly into production so you can get feedback from your customers because you don't know what you're doing unless you get feedback. Uh, those, that's why we represent it as a T diagram. Um, and it's different. And the other part of the dev and ops, I like the dev and ops infinity diagram because it has, uh, it's good, but the, also the reality that we talked about before is that it's not just dev and ops and data ops. It's which dev and which ops. It's a many to many problem. And cause you've got all these developers in different areas, all trying to get stuff into production at different points in time and different parts of the value chain. Yeah. 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 At the beginning of the conversation, you kind of mentioned that it's uh, it's about the people, the whole DevOps thing and the whole data ops thing. Now, I had when I read the cookbook and I saw the diagram, the T diagram, I had in my mind that the value pipeline that's the data engineer and the innovation pipeline that's the data scientist. But the more I think about it, the, the more I think I'm wrong. Yeah, I think they're both part of it, right? The the yeah. whole value, the everyone on that, everyone who works on that journey from data to value, the value pipeline, whether it's a data engineer or a scientist or an analyst or data governance, they're all part of making sure. Cause if you think about it, uh, let's say I've got, I want to do a customer segmentation, right? And, and uh, so I've got a list of customers and I want to group them together. And so, uh, to do that is a batch segmentation. So simple case. Um, so I've got a table, got a list of customers and how much they spent. And so I want to add a segmentation to that. So I need to add another column. Well, that's a data engineer. And then 
well, I got to tell governance that there's a new column, right? Because in my data dictionary, mm-hmm. I should know that there's a new column. And then there's a nice data scientist who wants to do their k-means clustering or whatever they do to, to, to actually add in the segmentation. And then the business user actually has to see it. And so you've got these four different groups, all in different, hopefully in the same place, maybe not in the same place, all using different tools to actually just do a customer segmentation. And now your business customer's like, dude, I just, can I get something that's pretty right? It doesn't have to be a perfect. I just want to see it. Well, how do my customers group together? Let me look at it. Um, and it could turn out that that K-means clustering is totally wrong, right? It's just like, it's a wacko and, and you want to try something else. So uh, how do you then change it again? And maybe it's the predictive model guy who's got to change it and change it and change it until he gets it right. Um, maybe the visualization's wrong or something. Um, but at the end of the day, it's a team of people working in that value pipeline, each our part have a different station on the assembly line, so to speak. Um, and so it's not a, uh, I, I, that's where I kind of see it as not one person and not data scientists versus data engineer. We're all part of the, we're all part of the factory. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Now uh, the cookbook is uh, available online. We'll put a link in the show notes where people can uh, get to it. And a lot of the concepts you talked about uh, during the conversation are uh, spelled out in there, I guess. Now, there's one phrase in there that I really don't like, and uh, you have to take it out. I mean, no way is DataOps going to be the sexiest job in the 21st century. It's going to be the data engineer <laughs> for the data engineer. That's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, that's a bit of marketing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, so, you know, uh, so why do I say that? Well, you remember that McKinsey thing, the data scientist uh-huh. will be the sexiest job of the 21st of century. Um, you know, and, and uh, it's, it's sort of true. Um in a little in a little sense, everyone's. I guess now it's the AI engineer is the sexiest job, but it but it always changes. Um, what what I do would like to see is about four or five years ago when we were talking about the idea of the company, I was in a pizza parlor, and there was a a guy in a sweatshirt that had the Boston DevOps meetup on the back of his sweatshirt, mm-hmm. and I was like, wow, this guy is his. You know, people wear sweatshirts for different lots of reasons, right? They're cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's obvious. But other times, it's sort of your identity, right? It's you have your rock band and your yeah. T-shirt, your favorite brand. And his, he was identifying as DevOps as something that was important to him. And so I would like people to identify that data ops is something because it has, I, in my perspective of the world, it has a huge amount of value to add. And so um, I want to see people with the Boston or whatever, you know, there are data, data ops meetups happening and our people are getting into the the methodology of it and it has um and so i would like people to be maybe it's not the sexiest thing but to see that it's a career path a role a set of techniques and ideas that really uh does have value and one more thing Mm and before i finish is um (laughs) what else are we going to do in analytics beyond data op or beyond ai I mean, uh, okay, we've gotten to the top of the pyramid, right? It's like, okay, big data, we've done data science, we've done AI. What else are we going to do? We do visualizations. Uh, I like, uh, uh, maybe there's some decision theory in there, but that that's, could be the very top of the pyramid. But um, at some point, we're going to run out of the cool the cool next thing. Nah, and we're going to, uh, we'll have all this pipeline laid, and we're going to have to figure out how to make it work. All right. All right, uh, I think we're going to, Getting close to the end of the interview now. So let's talk a little bit about Data Kitchen, uh, the company itself. Can you talk, talk a little bit? I mean, you've been talking about the concept of data ops and the theory behind it. You have the cookbook, the manifesto out there, datakitchen.io. What do you guys do specifically for this? 
Yeah, how do you, how do you people uh, how do you get people over the line to uh, to help them embrace this new wonderful wonderful space? Uh, a couple of ways, you know, we have um, you know we have a software product that so if you like the principles of data ops and want want to do them, you can buy our software and it'll make it easy for you. Um, and so that's what we, we we've been focused our business on, and and we've helped people also in. Uh, doing consulting and and trying to help them just talk about it and and understand it um, uh, the, the data ops. So primarily, we think that um, there's a people and process and mindset part of of data ops, but there is a technical framework that you can develop yourself, and that's fine if you're into it. Um, you can there's great open source tools like you could use Airflow and kubernetes clusters and write your own test framework and use jenkins and deployment automation and then use terraform and you can kind of bundle a lot of tools together um but we're trying to make it easier and then you know build databases to support all that and that may be fine for if, if you want to do it and, and more power to you um but we also think there's a there's an enterprise market that uh where you know people are are paying for expertise and paying for results and mm -hmm. and having uh, you know we're trying to you know, pay people salaries and, you know, we're a little uh, company of 5 million recurring revenue. And we, we are betting that the data ops is going to be a significant thing. We're not entirely sure when, hopefully soon, but it could be several years before it becomes um, uh, commonplace. And so we, we want to uh, help make that happen in the world. Um, and so we're using the software company as, as a means to do that. Um, and so that's our, that's our, our mission. So the software is something I can download and install on a server somewhere in my data center, or is it a cloud managed service? Or how do how should that work? It's a you think of it as a it's a it's a cloud with an agent that runs in your data center on prem. And one of the challenges that is also hard and uh, is, is a lot of people are transitioning to clouds or mm -hmm. they've got. You know, their workloads run in lots of different places. It'll run on-prem and cloud. It'll have a dev cluster and a production cluster, and so that they have a bunch of environments that they need to manage, and, and we can help with that. Um, and so we, you know, we think that the, you know, it, it, the logic that we want people to go through is, do you believe in data ops and the principles? And read the book. We have a manifesto that we wrote. A lot of people are writing about data ops now. Okay, I want to try it. Do some small stuff. Write some tests, write some scripts. Great. Okay. Uh, the state up stuff has some, has some legs. Okay. Should I, if I really want to do this, then should I start uh, bundling a bunch of uh, open source products? That might be fine for some people. Or should mm -hmm. I use what my software team's using? Okay. And then, you know, call up, there's companies like myself and other or companies like Data Kitchen. There's companies like, there's other companies out there. There's been 20 or $30 million in funding and companies that focus on what I would call data ops. And a lot of them are more machine learning model deployment, mm -hmm. but still it's the same, the same principle. Um, and look at those. And I think, uh, you know, my... Uh, I also think that the companies like GitLab are starting to have a small team to do what I call data ops. And there's the, the market will, you know, the, the market's still really, really early, but, uh, you know, good capitalists will start forming companies on it and there's other <laughs> small companies out there. Uh, so it's, and, uh, you know, we, we have lots of investors who call us up and I, I turn them down because I, I just don't want to sell hope and hockey sticks. Um, but I think it's a it's a good area to, to be in, and, and like anything, you should try a little, see if it adds value. Mm -hmm. And you know, the, the the book, the articles are are meant for people to to learn and, and do that. Yeah, on, online you have a video where you explain how the tool works, and I, I saw the video. Uh, who is the person that's going to be working directly with the tool? Is that collaborative? Kind of, everybody should do this. But there was also kind of the setting up of the environment, which was I saw more as an IT kind of. 
develop DevOps role, not really a data role. So who is the primary user of the tool? Yeah, so it's, yeah, it depends on you know sort of what bottleneck or what constraint you're you're solving first. So if you're, um, you know, if you're just trying to to for instance just test your data to make sure it's wrong, that's probably your data engineer would use the tool yeah, and, yeah. and use our test framework to do it. Um, if you're trying to coordinate uh, building environments, that could be a data ops or a DevOps engineer. Uh, and if you're also just trying to work on that coordination bottleneck, you've got self-service teams and home office teams, then it may actually be uh, the people who use Tableau or the people who use, uh, you know, uh, Altrix who are using the tool yeah. or, or your data scientist. Yeah. And so we built it in a way that it's sort of friendly and easy and abstracts a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it depends on what bottleneck. And, and ultimately, we see that there will be at least we hope, and that's the sexiest job of the 21st century, that there will be people <laughs> whose profession it is to do data ops. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and hopefully it, it won't just be DBAs, but it'll, it'll be people who, it'll be sort of an upskilling of DBAs and it'll, because, it, I mean, the, the big, another way to look at this, the whole operation side is just under-respected in uh, the data and analytics world. Mm-hmm. And honestly, the data side has been under-respected. The whole idea of a data engineer as opposed to a ETL person or is like uh, for many years, people who did data were seen as cost minimized, ship them overseas, we don't care. And I think the idea of a data engineer is actually a huge step up yeah. and, and in status and pay. And I still think the operational side of analytics has got to go through that process of stepping it up and seeing it, that it has value. Because the, the sexy stuff is not just charts and graphs and models. It's actually building a system that can produce the sexy stuff continuously and innovatively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought it's, that, it's interesting because the the your view on so much of that being outsourced, minimized, downplayed in terms of its its value it is kind of amusing because everything else, you know, in a true data-driven company, everything else starts from that data. So, so if they downplay the importance of a lot of that and yet put all of the importance on, you know, the things you were talking about earlier at the top of the pyramid, like the... Uh, machine learning and data, and data science and that side of things, well, if you don't have the fundamentals right, or if you're at least minimizing or ignoring some of the fundamentals, then how do you expect to get anything else right above it? That's a very good question. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> 80% of the work's <laughs> yeah. always in the data and like, you know, yeah. get over it and uh, uh, getting the data right is really important. And the people who do it are actually super valuable and uh, it, I've been hiring data engineers since, well, 2005 and even before that. And for a while, it was really hard to hire anyone who what did wanted to do SQL or ETL for a living. They were like music mm. majors and they picked it up on the side and um, <laughs> and like it's just like you couldn't find anybody. <laughs> And yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry, that, nothing against music majors, but you know, uh, uh, actually, like in the last couple of years, uh, I we've interviewed people who want to be data engineers mm-hmm. and nice. who want to do, uh, you know, there's the and they see it as a, a valuable profession, and that's that is super cool yeah. that people see, hey, all the works in the data and engineering, well, building well engineered data systems is a career path I want to go on, and I'm not just like the lunch pail working class downtrodden, you know, person in the tech world, I'm actually have a huge amount of value. And I think it's really, and it's also because of that realization, all, you know, getting the data right enables everything else. It's foundational. Yeah. And, you know, and, and so, you know, my perspective is, is, 
the, the foundation of all of it is not just getting the data right, but getting the operations and the iterations right. And yeah. if you can do that, the data work, the data science work, the viz work, the governance all gets better. Yeah, agreed. I, I think I think we're I think and I hope that we're starting to see that reflected in uh, in the world today. I think people are starting to realise that actually it's not just uh, grunt work that we can um, not not worry about or not not invest time, effort, people in. And I think it's it's good that you're seeing that in in uh, in sort of the people that you're interviewing and speaking to as well. So I have uh, I have hope after all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I think you know things things do get better, and people. Um, I think having podcasts like yours, and one of the good things about the the internet, besides you know spreading spreading lies, it does actually spread some truth. And so I think people get out there and, and hear different things, and hearing the, these perspectives on on data, and and even the naming the the data engineer term, I think is a it's a good it's a good rebranding of a position that um, uh, has a lot of value. Okay, so is there anything coming in the future, near and far future in data ops? What's 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 your next steps going to be? What's what are you going to? Um, yeah, we're we're, just, we're trying to grow the company, uh, get customers, make them successful. Sort of pretty mundane, uh, pretty mundane stuff. Um, and also, we have been really surprised at how well the book's done. So we've got uh, we've given away and had over two thousand downloads in just the two or three months. Um, our manifesto that we wrote has had 5,000 signatures and, and uh, we keep tracking on news of all the people who are writing on, you know, uh, on data ops in general. And it used to be, it was once a quarter, three or four years ago. Now, every week there's a, a dozen to two dozen distinct articles on, on data ops. So the momentum's picking up uh, and people are learning more about it. And I think the analyst coverage, I mentioned the Gartner conference before all, all, all are, you know, the, the great mass of people are, are trying to learn about it. And I'm also just like, I look at our interesting, I look at our leads that come in through our HubSpot and it's pretty international. It's not just the, okay. you know, the U S or Europe, it's all over the world. Um, and I also like do interesting Google searches on data ops and I'm like, you know, there's an Egyptian one the other day, there was one in, uh, and people are, you know, there's a lot in, in South America, there's a lot in Europe, there's some in, in Japan. And it's just interesting to see the, dis, the dispersion of ideas um across the world and people sort of picking it up and 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 seeing it and that's that's been a, a satisfying aspect to uh, uh, be part of yeah it feels a bit like the whole data world is like that because you see the same thing with the podcast pickup you also have people from all over the world pinging us <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and that's that isn't that's pretty cool isn't it that yes, are it like you know it's, it that is. people are listening to you all over the world that's that's, that's really neat and at any time, any any point in the day, there's someone listening to the Roaring Elephant podcast. Therefore, soon somebody listening to you. Um, <laughs> one of the things I wanted to, I think you've hinted towards it, but I wanted to kind of ask the specific question. Do you think that, I mean, you mentioned you've been talking about data ops for, you know, four or five years now. Do you think that some of the more recent popularity or growth of, of data ops is because, People have been talking about DevOps for, I mean, best part of a decade from from what I can work out. Yet the actual, um, you know, lots of small organizations were very early adopters of DevOps. Lots of large scale organizations have been talking about DevOps for a long time, but have struggled to implement it properly or any sensible way but are now kind of starting to get their sort of their feet wet and starting to make 
kind of real progress with with a lot of the the core concepts around DevOps. So do you think that you know you're to a certain extent you're riding the wave of of people finally getting their head around DevOps, finally opening their eyes to this kind of new world, and then finding that there's a new world beyond their new world of of data ops and DevSecOps and all these other kind of ops related functions. Yeah, one of one of the interesting things about being an older nerd is that things that were really small have become really big. Yeah. And so I remember when I first took my data and analytics job in 2005, people didn't know what it was. And I, I basically explained, I do charts and graphs. And then people would go, oh, okay. <laughs> and, uh, you know, fast forward 14 years, you can't, you know, watch a watch a sports broadcast or walk through an airport with being inundated on some kind of buzzword of it was big data, ML, AI, you know, cool interactive statistical graphs. So it's become, and, and likewise, the, the DevOps idea was really small and it's become much more popularized and it's a, it's a big market. And so from, um, if you look at it from a, like a spending, like the worldwide spend in data and analytics is like, I don't know, $150 billion. Um, and then the DevOps market is like $10 billion. And the intersection of those probably a, there's, you know, of, of DevOps and data and analytics is probably, there's, there's probably a multi-billion dollar market from, you know, at least I look at it from a, from a software standpoint, a tool standpoint. And so I, I do think these things, um, are feeding off each other, the, the growth in data and analytics. And I, I also think that the companies who are doing it really well, um, and there's some West Coast U.S. consumer companies who uh, are very agile, very focused on, uh, uh, they. there's almost no distinction between their software team and their data team and their DevOps team and their data ops team. They're all just, they see code and data flowing through their system as the lifeblood of the organization. And um, they're, they're doing really well, you know, I mean, they're, you know, the sort of whatever the four or five fang horsemen, whatever they call the term they're you know, they have huge valuations. And, and I think there's fear in other companies that they're going to get their lunch eaten by these nimbler, faster, more agile, more data driven, more soft, you know, it's, it's software eats the world, but in some ways it's software plus data plus agile data DevOps is going to eat the world. And, yeah. uh, plus cloud, that's, you've got to have cloud. Plus blockchain. cloud, plus cloud. Yeah. Yeah. And, and blockchain. Oh, I forgot. Yeah. Blockchain is going to change everything. <laughs> but yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's data and analytics, it's DevOps, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's fear of of the uh, you know the california guys are the west coast guys eating your lunch yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well chris it's been great having on the podcast uh, anything else you want to add no this has been very fun you you're, you guys are great hosts i really enjoyed it thank you very much uh, if people are looking for you where can they, where can they find you uh datakitchen.io don't have a twitter handle or anything Oh, I'm Chris. I'm Chris Berg on, <laughs> <laughs> on Twitter. Yeah, it's just Chris C H R S B E R G H. Yeah, I'm trying to impress on Dave the importance of social media and Twitter accounts and stuff like that. So just uh, oh, just no, ignore I hate that. It. I hate it all. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you very much, Chris, for being on the show. It's been great having you on. Uh, I've had a blast reading the whole cookbook. I mean, it was really interesting. It's been a blast talking to you as well, uh, Dave. Unless you have anything else to add. No, nothing else from me. Just it, it has been a really good chat, and uh, I look forward to seeing uh, more about uh, Data Kitchen and uh, Data Ops in the future. 
Same All way. right, great. Thank you much, and thanks for the opportunity. Okay, thank you very much. Take care. Well, thanks again to uh, Chris Berg. Great talking to him, and uh, I certainly found the, the conversation really interesting. Hope, hopefully, our audience did too. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing that something as simple as the concept of data ops was simple. I mean, once you thought of it, it's simple, but it makes so much sense, right? Mm. And uh, I've actually read the cookbook uh, quite in uh, quite uh, detailedly. I say that quite uh, thoroughly, and I must say it's yep. a good read. Uh, it has a lot of information in there. It may not be the thing to do today for everybody, but it's definitely some food for thought. So anybody who hasn't uh, exposed himself to some data ops goodness. It's a good place to start, and uh, there's some links in the show notes. Uh, Have a look and uh, enjoy your data ops-enriched life. Indeed. Um, Unless there's anything else from you. No, I think I did enough. In that case, that is all the time we have for today. We hope you enjoyed the serving of bite-sized big data. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode, but until then, please go to www.roaringelephant.org where you can find more information, including a feedback form. You can also follow us on Twitter using the @hadoopcast tag and contact us by email to podcast at roaringelephant.org with any thoughts, comments, criticisms, and other feedback. Until then, my name is Dave. And my name is John. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Goodbye. See you then.